So Katya, what do you think will be the cancer treatments in a hundred years from now? Wrong answers only. Wrong answers only. Oh no. Um, definitely something to do with aliens and spaceships. That's the only way. <laughs> the only way. Okay, thank you. The science Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Science Basement Podcast, a podcast for people who love all things science. I'm your host, Giuliano. And I'm your co-host, Katja. And this is the final episode of our ICANN mini-series, where we talk about cancer and where cancer research is going. ICANN is an exciting new research platform based in Helsinki, Finland, a national flagship project aiming to make discoveries for new cancer treatments. Now, Katja, so far, we've been discussing cancer from so many perspectives. We've been discussing basic biology of cancer. We've been discussing how to transform cancer research or how to turn it into cancer treatment. We talked about personalized cancer care. We even mentioned the use and application of artificial intelligence in cancer research and cancer treatment. Today, as a closure of our mini series, we wanted to talk about where we're headed. I say we as if, you know, I'm involved in the research. I'm not, but, you know, bear with me. We as humanity, where we headed in cancer research and what will be the future of cancer care. Now, to give us his views about this, we have Professor Vince Cerullo, Professor in Biological Drug Development, Head of the Drug Research Program, Group Leader of the IVT Lab at the University of Helsinki, and co-leader at ICANN flagship in the immunophenotyping stream. Professor Cerullo has been ranked number one in Finland, number one in Europe, and number four in the world as expert in the field of oncolytic barrel therapy by expertscape.com. Professor Vince Cerullo, how are you today? Great, thanks. Thanks for inviting me. And uh, this is fantastic event. I'm very happy to be here and I'm feeling great. Thanks. That's awesome. That's great enthusiasm. Thank you so much for accepting accepting the invitation. Can I call you Vince, Professor? Of course. Okay. Nobody, Vince. nobody, nobody not call me Vince. Everybody okay. call me Vince. Good. So we'll <laughs> stick to that. Vince, so far we've been discussing so many different approaches. We've been discussing the use of AI. We've been discussing the use of biomarkers. We've been discussing the use of something called a circulating tumor DNA, which I had no idea of. So I feel a bit mind blown by all these different approaches. And I have no idea. It's really difficult for me to understand how will cancer research and cancer treatment look in the future. So rather, I'd, I'd love to ask you, where, where do you think cancer research is going? What, what would be the treatments in the future? Thanks. This is, this is a fantastic question, Juliana. And, uh, you know, as you said, you heard a lot of good stuff and a lot of, uh, you know, things that are actually cooking to make cancer treatment even better and more precise and more patient-specific and more tumor-specific. But if you ask me to really look in the future, you know, I would rather not to try to stick with things that we are already playing with, but I would think even broader and even ask myself how, you know, cancer therapy will really be affected by the enormous 
computer power of quantum computing, for instance. Of you know, quantum computing, okay, okay. Yes, you know, once we have new technologies coming in, technology, we don't even have an idea of what they are capable of. How those new technologies will really affect the way we treat cancer? Is it happening today? Is it happening tomorrow? Probably not, but it is happening. It will happen soon or later. And, uh, you know, when you ask me the question, you know, how do you see the future? That, that's actually the way I see the future. I see the future using technology to treat cancer. We are just now starting scratch the surface of those technologies. And quantum computing is one of the things. Or so quantum biology, I'm, I'm extremely fascinated of, of course, of biology and cancer biology. But I always think late at night, how really, you know, some interaction are actually between different drugs or between, you know, the good cells that are actually helping our body killing the cancer. How is this interaction deep down at atomic level? I mean, is quantum biology something that we should explore in the future? And is there any particular key that we haven't really discovered yet, that uh, once it's discovered, we start designing better drug, uh, more tolerated drug, more specific drugs, you know, uh, more precise drug or faster screening of drug. And that's if I want to start from very, very, very broad in the future. If I want to narrow down on things that, you know, might probably happen tomorrow and not really the day after tomorrow, uh, I would say probably personalized therapy and precision medicine is actually what I would bet my money on at the moment. Which anyway, um, they started already now. We already uh, have exactly, a beginning of exactly, it. Don't exactly, we? exactly, yeah. exactly. Again, you know, from, from something that is not happening really, or probably it's happening, but just mm. a few people are, are somehow curious and they're starting to interrogate about those things at the moment. But to be a little bit more pragmatic on something that is already starting, something that we could already uh, have a taste of it at the moment, personalized medicine and uh, precision cancer medicine is probably something that we will see. I'm not, I'm not sure, seriously, whether or not I will see the quantum revolution it will come the quantum revolution, no doubt. Do I see it? I don't know. Uh, you know, I'm 47. Probably this will happen in 50, 60 years. You know, probably I will see it. I will probably benefit. But that's not the point. The point is something that I will see is precision medicine. And the precision medicine, I think, has already started. Is you know, really starting to design treatment, which are ad hoc for a specific tumor or ad hoc for a specific cancer. And that's something that, you know, the way I see the future, is it already possible now? Yes and no, because I think we really need solid, I wouldn't, I would dare to say not scientific breakthrough, because I, I'm truly convinced that we have all the pieces of the puzzle in place. Oh, you think but so? I think okay. so. So you have, when you go out in the store and buy the puzzle, I mean, all the pieces of the puzzle are there, but the puzzle is not done yet. And uh, that's what I believe with precision cancer medicine. We have all the pieces of the puzzle there, but we have just opened the box. And now it needs a little bit of cooperation, a little bit of patience.
I, I think it really requires cooperation between people to put this piece of puzzle together. And, and, and here we are. I mean, I think we are moving fast, not only us, but the world is moving fast. And probably we're going to get there quite fast. But again, it's a puzzle. You just come out from the store. You go home. You are very excited. You open the box. That's it. You have now thousands of pieces on your table and a lot of fun in front of you to put these pieces together. And that's what we are now with this. I know we're going to get it done because the pieces are there, but probably, you know, in the near future. Precision medicine means a lot of things. But from what concerns my scientific interest, precision medicine is understanding, you know, of course, my my research topic is immunotherapy. And for people that don't know what immunotherapy is, immunotherapy is a way to educate our immune system that I call the police of our body, to educate our police to fight cancer. Uh, that's what immunotherapy is. It's giving our immune system a specific identity card to recognize tumors. What I'm very interested in is uh, our body, from the immunological point of view, is exposed to a lot of different, uh, let's say, viruses, bacteria. I mean, we are very diverse people, not only because we are genetically diverse, but also because our immune system has been exposed during our life to completely different pathogenic repertoire. So that makes our police very different. So what I'm very interested, and I know that is possible, and we're working hard for it, is really to understand the way to best use our police. Because each of us has some specialty, and we need to find in a specific person what's the specialty of that police and how to use it. So this is where I see cancer going from very, very, very broad to a little bit more concrete and pragmatic stories. That sounds absolutely fantastic, I have to say. And I, I love all the metaphors that you use, especially with the like the puzzle piece. I feel like I can really envision, you know, going into a store or a science, you know, world with all these questions and each uh, scientific question is a puzzle box in itself, I guess. But yes, and on that note, you mentioned about a need for interdisciplinary and multidisciplinary work and I think that's also really exciting because often breakthroughs in one field I guess stimulate breakthroughs in another and actually now I was wondering about ICANN in itself and I was wondering um, as one of the founders how is ICANN helping your approach to your research? ICANN is uh, for what we are doing and what we believe in it's fantastic sandbox to really test our hypothesis. Again, how the pre-exposure of our police, of our immune system, shapes people's immune system and how this immune system interacts with the tumor. I mean, I've said on ICANN meetings several times, you know, a lot of people is interested, and I'm pretty sure you have heard it also, that, you know, they, they are cold tumor and hot tumor wait uh, uh, that's something that i never heard cold tumor okay. and, and uh, what was it cold and hot tumor 
Uh, cold tumor and hot tumor is a very, very easy way to classify tumor in terms of their uh, response to immunity, to, to immunotherapy. Ah, okay. So uh, tumors that are highly infiltrated with the, with the cells of the immunosystem are called hot tumor. So they are hot with the police going there. And the cold tumor are instead those tumors where the police is not really gone there. So they are tumors that are lacking the police. So uh, if I may, just tell me if I understood correctly. So hot tumors are tumors that are kind of very good at triggering the immune system. Did I understand correctly? Whereas cold tumor are uh, a bit more stealth. No, hot I misunderstood. Tumor are, nah, no, 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 you understood, you understood almost perfectly. Hot tumor are tumors that are already infiltrated with the cells of the immunosystem, while a cold tumor are tumors that are really not infiltrated with the cells of the immunosystem. Back to our metaphors, if I have you know, two parts of the city, one part of the city is highly infiltrated with police that are actually looking at the safety in that part of the city, even if this is a tumor, that we would define as hot tumor. So police is already there. Eventually they are not doing anything because they are blind, they are tricked, they are, you know, whatever. Tumor is quite smart to smuggle without being noticed by the police. Uh, but, uh, but the police is there. So you don't need to call the police. You just need to tell them that, oh guys, by the way, these guys are, you know, selling drugs but they are already there. That's a, an easier way. Cold tumor instead are tumors where the police is not there yet. So uh, it's a much of a bigger problem because you first need to get the police there and then you need to tell the police that there is somebody, somebody that is actually robbing. But nevertheless, regardless of this, I mean, cold tumor and hot tumors are quite a easy way to define tumors. But what I was going to, nobody has really looked or studied whether or not there are cold people and hot people. I mean, people that they have already, the immune system that has already been primed, that will be potentially very helpful to fight tumors versus people that they have an immune system that is less prone to kill the tumor. So what I was trying to say before, you know, back to our original question, why ICANN is actually helping me, how ICANN is helping me, because again, I want to study tumor and our body interaction, how those two things interact from the immunological point of view. But I want to study it from the immunosystem point of view, which is very, very unique rather than studying it from the tumor point of view, which is more studied because again, everybody studies cold tumor and hot tumor, but very few people are studying at the moment cold people and hot people. ICANN is one perfect example of a collaboration that I was saying before, where do you see the future? The future I see people collaborating, the future I see people joining forces, the future I see is people merging different disciplines from engineer to biology, to cancer biology, cellular biology, immunology, 
all together to tackle the problem. And I kind of, in this respect, is just perfect, fantastic first attempt. Is it easy, to be honest? Not so much. It's been very, very challenging project, probably one of the most challenging projects I've ever participated in, but that makes the real advancement. I mean, there is no milestone taken, no goal achieved without sacrifice, without going to the you know narrow way, fighting for it, you know, going where nobody has ever gone. And I think ICANN is going where nobody has ever gone, not only from the scientific point of view, but also from the logistic point of view. You get hundreds of PIs with different interests, different expertise, different goal, different personalities. You put them together, you sit them on the same tables, and you ask them to think of one single, simple, quote, simple problem. How do we do precision cancer therapy? And uh, that's what ICANN is, and that's why I'm personally so excited about it. Okay, that's so, so it looks like really I can, I'm imagining now the ICANN board meetings as these different, different geniuses and different experts trying to, to use their different uh, tool sets on the same problem, how to defeat this. Okay, now Vince, you told us you know, how ICANN is trying to achieve the goal. You now, Vince, what are you doing? What are you working on? I'm actually working on a personalized cancer vaccine. What vaccine? I want to... Okay. Yes. Now, this is a word that probably, I mean, I think we're all familiar with the word vaccine. However, I would bet that most of our listeners are not familiar with the, this word in the field of cancer. So yes. that's really and interesting. In fact, uh, in fact I, I, I want to clarify here. The, my main interest at the moment is uh, develop personalized cancer therapeutic vaccines. Therapeutic means that those vaccines are actually given to people that they have already cancer. And that's what we are doing at the moment. And that's what we have uh, finally, fortunately, managed to to have in clinic soon. Uh, That's the present and the near future. My overall goal and my far future goal is uh, you know, to move from therapeutic vaccine to prophylactic vaccine. Can we anticipate somehow whether or not a specific person can get a specific cancer? And can we develop a prophylactic vaccine so that eventually that person that will get that cancer will actually not get that cancer? So basically, if you understood correctly, you're working on therapeutic vaccines, as in vaccines that are used to treat a cancer that is already going on, but your goal would be at one point to develop prophylactic cancer vaccine, as in, may I say, the classical view of a vaccine. So something that you get to basically prevent a disease from happening. So a vaccine that will prevent a specific cancer from happening. Did I understand correctly? You understood correctly. It's as precise as it can be. Here, of course, when I say vaccine for cancer, it means that the type of police I'm trying to engage is a little bit different than the type of police that normal vaccines against infectious disease are actually trying to engage. 
but the word vaccine stands there. This is a very, very fascinating approach, honestly. I mean, I've heard this before from a student of yours that has been interviewed by us in this, in this podcast. So I can say that before meeting somehow your lab, I've never heard of such an approach to cancer. Uh, and because it's really, really interesting, I want to ask you, how is that going? Did you manage to get it from uh, preclinical to clinicals? Uh, where are you with this? Thanks to our idea of doing this, we have uh, uh, spun out a company together with University of Helsinki, and of course now I can, that is called Balo Therapeutics. And uh, actually Balo is taking this uh, idea of uh, personalized cancer vaccine to the clinic, starting the phase one clinical trial very soon in Germany, in three different locations in Germany, in four different indications. And that will really set the basis for us going towards a real personalized approach. At the moment, uh, Balo is rather doing a precision cancer medicine clinical trial, but uh, Balo is also acquiring novel technologies from our lab and also from some other places that will uh, allow them to actually start designing and push to clinic a real personal cancer therapeutic vaccine. The trick and the secret that we have actually developed in the lab stands on how easy, fast, and cheap is to do so. And in fact, we have actually invented a way to take oncolytic viruses and we have decorated these viruses with tumor-specific antigens. I explain it in a different way so that everybody understands what I mean. Everybody knows that uh, when we get a flu, just a regular flu, forget for a second about Corona, but when we get a regular flu... Yeah, thank you. Thank God. We really don't want to talk about that. Exactly. Exactly. When we get the flu, just regular flu, our body gets rid of the virus in a couple of days. I mean, we feel sick, two, three days at home, and then we fully recover. What happened in those three, three, four days? It happens that our immune system, the police of our body, is actually going where the virus is, recognizing the virus, and killing the virus. And that's why, how we recover. Easy peasy. We have, as human species, have co-evolved with viruses. So we know perfectly well how to recognize viruses and how to kill viruses. Tumors are a little bit more tricky. We have not evolved with the tumors because, you know, a thousand of years ago, eventually we were dying before. So we don't have a real way of recognizing tumors. In addition, tumors, they originate from our own body. So it's very difficult for our police to actually distinguish what is tumor and what is health. And that's why tumors get unrecognized and they can grow and eventually kill us. So what we have developed and invented in my lab is why don't we take a virus, which is easy to recognize by our police, and then we decorate this virus with a piece of tumors. Now we have a viral infection, that alert the police of our body. So the police go there 
to kill the virus, but now the virus is covered with piece of tumor. So the police, instead of uh, understanding that they need to kill the virus, they are completely confused. And they think that the virus is the tumor. So they start killing the tumor instead because the virus is covered with piece of tumor. And that's basically what we actually have invented and we have called the peptigrad. And it's one of the core business of a uh, therapeutic. Why this is easy to do? Because to attach piece of a tumor onto a virus is extremely easy, extremely fast, and I'm talking minutes fast, not, uh, not fast weeks or days. I'm talking minutes fast. Oh, so wow. very easy, very fast, and also very inexpensive. And now again, I'm talking tens of thousands to put a piece of tumor onto a virus versus millions to put genetic material that will encode for these tumor pieces. And that's where, you know, I hope that we will actually set the basis for personalized medicine because that's what you need to be personalized. It needs to be cheap, it needs to be fast, it needs to be feasible. And I think we have got the ingredient here. Wow, so wait. Again, I need to clarify this because I'm a bit overwhelmed now. So at Valo, this is what I understand you do. So because our immune system is really good at tracking and killing viruses, but it's not that good and at tracking and killing cancer. So what you guys do is you get a virus, which is very visible for, immune, for the immune system, and you cover it with pieces of the cancer from the patient, I assume. So, and then what you get, I guess you inject the virus into the patients. Therefore, because the virus is really good at triggering the immune system, the immune system will be triggered and it will recognize the virus. But because the virus is covered in pieces of cancer, then the immune system will be trained in recognizing and killing the cancer itself. Is, is that what you do? Exactly. Doing? This wow. is exactly what we're That's doing. That's so creative. I don't know. It's just like it's such a brilliant idea. Honestly, before... Hearing it from you and, you know, from your students, from Manlio, uh, I, I would have never thought of that, honestly. This it sounds like such a creative approach. Cool. And I like this word, creative, as you might know. Yes, exactly. I have to say, like, I like exactly as Juliana said, like hearing this explanation is it's pretty mind blowing. It's like very out of the box thinking. You know, your lab is working on so many things, both at molecular and clinical levels. And, and your lab is known to be very creative with was it the most patent applications at the University of Helsinki? Like, that's super impressive. And I was actually wondering, since we have this constant need for different treatments with the cancer problem and cancer research, you know, having this multifaceted problem, they require creative solutions. How do you do it? It's like, how can we fuel creative thinking in research? Thank you, Kalia. This was a fantastic question. And uh, as you know, I, I'm, I'm a big believer in creativity in science. And I believe that every project needs to be novel and creative and needs to explore something that nobody has explored before. But uh, how do you motivate students to do that uh, is, quite, uh, is, is quite tricky. And of course, it requires time and it requires also some risk. The way I do it is what I call the coffee thinking. When new students come to the lab, I don't assign a project. What I actually do, I try to talk to the students to really explore what are 
he is or her interest and where he's really motivated, what he really wants to do. Everybody has a personal story and everybody has a deep down subconscious goal they will die for. And I'm a little bit like, you know, obsessed at the beginning to really try to understand what is that they will die for, what they really want to do that will make them so proud of themselves. So I listen to them, but there are two ways of listening and there are two ways of approaching the students. There is one way that is a little bit more official. You know, you call for a meeting, uh, say, I, Kadia uh, Giuliano, you know, I would like to talk about, you know, your projects and let's have a meeting. Uh, those kind of meeting, I found they are very efficient to plan experiment, but very inefficient to unleash creativity. And the reason is because the moment you approach this kind of meeting, you come there with the part of your intelligence that is very rational, that is uh, filled with knowledge, understanding of, uh, you know, you come there with the papers, you come there with your, uh, which is fantastic and it's very efficient, but that's not what I need at the beginning because at the beginning you don't need knowledge, you need creativity. To unleash creativity, my trick is to approach people off guard. You need to get them where they are distracted. They need to get them, you know, over a coffee, you know, and ask, you know, what, what, what's your dream about? You know, what would be one thing that you make you completely jump out of your chair? Question like this, but they don't need to be asked over a meeting. They need to be asked where the part of the brain that is, you know, more rational is kind of sleeping and uh, the part of the brain that is a little bit more of a dreamer more of a creative part of the brain is a little bit more active uh, i like surfing and then you know eventually you know i can talk about surf before and like yo i remember you know when i was surfing here and there it was fantastic and you know i dream that one day you know, if we win a big grant, we can all go together with the lab and celebrate here and there. So I try to get rid of any resistance of impressing the supervisor. You know, we're just chit-chatting, we're dreaming about stuff. And it's there that you're more vulnerable. And then I can ask, okay, what do you think really the, the, the future of cancer is or cancer vaccine? And then you start from there. And then, you know, you start to, to really understand. It takes a little bit of time and a little bit of risk, but it pays off. I mean, in my experience, I've been running my lab for almost 10 years and I've uh, never been disappointed so far. People have come up with fantastic idea, super motivated. Uh, it is just a pleasure for me to look what they are capable of thinking. I love this approach because as a PhD student myself, I really do feel often that in the meetings that the first actual goal is to impress your professor or your, your, your boss and only secondarily to actually come up with things and, and thinking, which, I mean, of course, it's not the rational thing to do, but it's actually what I think always happens. So I really love this approach of taking the students off guard where they're not planning or in, they're not aiming to impress you. So you're talking about surfing over a coffee or something like that. And then I guess in that situation, as a student, I would probably feel even more brave in just saying something a bit more ambitious because anyway, we're not talking seriously, right? So exactly. I don't have to provide you evidences for this silly idea of mine. We're just chatting, right? I love that approach, yeah. 
to be honest, SPI in these 10 years, I never recall to have given a project to anybody except one or two, like Peptigrad, you know, I was alone, so obviously. But I never recall to have given a project to somebody. But on the other end, and this is a secret, so don't say it, I never recall that anybody... I mean, it's not like we're on a podcast, so we'll keep it as a exactly. secat. Don't worry. This is not They'll, a, never exactly. <laughs> They'll never exactly. know. Exactly. But I never recall that somebody has not done a project I wanted them to do. But I never said I wanted them to do because it just came out from them and it just came out the right way. I, I see they are happy and that makes me happy. Yeah, I, I have to agree with Giuliano that this method of coming up with ideas sounds so fantastic. It makes me think almost like how science used to be back in the day. People had questions. They were like, oh, why does this work this way? How does this work? I wonder what happens. Like it kind of goes back to this very innate human curiosity to be like, oh, let's do anything to find the answer. And it's exactly, exactly. I have uh, usually sometimes I, I give lecture on these specific topics and sometimes I show a cartoon I found on Facebook, one of the most useful thing I found on Facebook that says, you know, science today versus science back in the days. And uh, there is this, uh, you know, old guy, he wants to solve a problem because he wants to understand how nature works. And then there is scientists nowadays that he wants to find some data because he really needs the data for the narrative of his paper in nature. Both the scientists, they want to understand nature, but in a completely different way. One is a journal, the other one is, is actually the real nature. In my opinion, and that is very, very easy. And that's probably an advice for all students. Guys, you usually start with a problem. You usually start with the problem you want to solve. Uh, that makes your life so much easier. The majority of grants I revise of idea I hear or, you know, interview or, you know, I'm, I'm very exposed to all kinds of these things, like, like many professors, I believe. But I always have the feeling that people try to find problems over solutions they already have. I, I see what you mean. Like, make, I, I want to do I mean? this. And then I just need to find the reason why I could do, do this. It. I understand. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. I do viruses. Hence, what problem could I solve with viruses? And this is very inefficient way to proceed. It sounds easy, but it's a, a mental trick that tricks you into much more problems. Instead, if you start the other way around, that is a little bit scary to start with, but it's very, very efficient once you do it. Forget for a second what you know and what you know how to do it. And focus on a real problem you really want to solve. Because as I said before, when I was talking about the piece of puzzle, I believe we are quite technologically advanced. We can solve a lot of problems, but we don't have good problems. People don't come up with good problems. So the technology is there, but it's not used. So for a second, at PhD students level, I would say, or postdoc level, or for some degree also professor level, but forget for a second what is your expertise and think what problem you really want to solve. And then you go, what would I need? 
in order to solve this specific problem. So it's the other way around. It's scary, but in my opinion, it's very efficient. And if you do so, you will immediately see so many benefits. It's easier to write grants. It's easier to write paper. It's really easier to publish paper and so on and so forth. So I really encourage my students to do so. Coffee thinking and uh, start with the problem. It's probably the two main starting point to unleash your creativity. So that's the recipe. Coffee thinking and start with a problem. No, because I agree because it sounds obvious that in <laughs> research you start with a problem and then you try to find a solution. But it is true that it is not often the case because pragmatically, as you said, Vince, it's a wrong trick. But pragmatically, especially for a beginner, it might look like a, a nice strategy. I, I start with something that I already know. I start with something that I already can do. And then I'll just go backwards and think of where I can use this or what question would have this, that, this thing that I have as an answer. So I'm already done. You know, I'm really good. But yeah, it's, it's a mental trick. So this is the trick. Well, coffee thinking, which I love the name, being a lover of coffee myself and starting with a problem and then finding a solution. Exactly. So thank you so much for this. I would then, like you told us what you would expect from the future of cancer research and you gave us beautiful ideas how to get creative in research may i ask you instead of because at the beginning we ask you what you think will get in the future what would you hope for the future of cancer research yes it's uh, again you know, a very good uh, a very good question i really hope sometimes i've really hoped that we can in a very short term, make uh, cancer a chronic disease, you know, uh, make cancer a disease you die with, you don't die for. Uh-huh. Uh, and, uh, and I think... So it sounds uh, like, you, anyway, you ruled out the possibility of eliminating it completely, I guess, because it's not the first time we hear this in this series, any series. It sounds like the, the idea of eliminating it completely, it sounds like quite unlikely. So I understand that you are being more pragmatic rather keeping it chronic rather than, yeah. I mean, we have a lot of infections of viruses that are chronically infect us and we live very happy with them. Mm. And sometimes they might even be helpful. Of course, again, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm a kind of person that thinks that our immune system, you know, needs to be primed, needs to be active and needs to be broad. But so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't see why of course, I mean, if, if it happens to be eliminated, then it's eliminated, but it's no problem. Once it's something that uh, somehow does not kill you anymore, but mm-hmm. it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's in the system, immune system takes it under control, then I don't mind. Of course, if you ask me, do you want to eliminate or do you want to, to make it chronic and then probably eliminate? But on the other end, I, I also see that the, how irrelevant this is. In case it's chronic, you mean? If if we manage to keep it chronic under control, it's it's not necessary anymore. Exactly. It's something that eventually, you know, it's like diabetes. Uh, A lot of people, you know, before eventually diabetes was, you know, very, very serious disease. Now people can live very, very happy life. No problem whatsoever. And uh, I just wish that, you know, in the near future, tumor would be somehow like this. That, you know, of course, 
it's bad to be sick and of course it's not the good news but but you can live with it and you know you have drugs that can keep it under control for the rest of your life you don't even need to worry eventually there will be some sacrifice to do and some, some but something you will die with and not for that's what that, that, i really wish that's what you hope for the future that's uh, yes. very realistically nice because at the beginning of uh, in, in the mini series we kind of got the impression that the the complete deletion of cancer as a disease is very unlikely so i think this is a good compromise okay it's, we're not going to delete it but hopefully one day it's just going to be one of those diseases that as you said you die with but you don't die for so but i, I, I think I, it's, tell um, you, I, I will tell you something provocative giuliano what about for instance and i think about it you know very often I'm, I, i can assure you that i'm not the only one but uh, you know i think surgery is still a very good way to eradicate sure. tumors because you are actually removing the tumor of course and then you only need to deal with tumors coming back but what about we start thinking about prophylactic vaccines mm-hmm. for tumors that come back then you have the surgery to eliminate the primary tumors and then you have the prophylactic vaccine to avoid that the tumor is coming back and then tumors that are now coming back in 30% of the case there will be zero 60% of the case there will be probably 5% 100% of the case will be probably 9% already there it's something that we can actually wish for the very near future Uh, that is even easier than a normal prophylactic vaccine because in the normal prophylactic vaccine somebody could still argue you know Vince how do you make a prophylactic vaccine to a person without knowing what type of tumors that person will get so then i think that there are answers to this question but that's not the point here the point here is uh, a person that has already the tumor undergo to surgery if we can understand how the human immune system and the human body works and make some specific tumor specific prophylactic vaccine in the sense that once we have removed it that tumor cannot come back that would be already i think an enormous breakthrough for for humanities absolutely yes if i may ask i think one important note there to do so is not only to understand how how our immune system deals with the tumor but also the complexity of our immune system and how our life has shaped the immune system in such a peculiar way and then we can catch that peculiarity and use that peculiarity to make sure that our prophylactic vaccine will work against that specific tumor it's difficult to say but i i see it but i just cannot really say it but i see it and it's all about putting a lot of complex problems together and i think we are slowly moving there so you know back to the very original question whether or not i will see quantum therapy i don't know but i definitely will see this kind of uh, prophylactic uh, personalized cancer vaccine but yes so that sounds like really there's so much hope for the future and really we have so many wonderful treatments heading and i think you know even 
you know, being able to make it a chronic disease there, as you mentioned already, there are so many that we live with today and don't affect us nearly how they have in the past. And I think with prophylactic vaccines and being able to prevent things before they even happen, I think only good things in store for us. And with that, I was actually wondering if you had a take home message for our audience today. Uh, take home message. Mm, well, I have, a, let's say I have several take home message. The, the first one is that we are getting there. Just uh, have in front of us the idea of, you know, we have, we have this, uh, the piece of the puzzle already there and we are start composing the puzzle. To our PhD students that are, that we listen to the podcast, Guys, be creative, uh, avoid the so-called Me Too science. It's very useless, almost unethical to use, uh, to use money, to, do, to repeat things that other people have done. Be brave, propose things to your PIs. Everybody is very happy to listen to you. Uh, every PI is very thrilled to let you explore new things. So don't, don't think that uh, your ideas are not appreciated. Everybody appreciates that, I can promise you. And what concern for therapy for eventually, you know, patient, if, if patients are, are, are listened, I really believe that cooperation and multidisciplinary, the way we are, are actually building up our story at ICANN and, and eventually also some similar platforms will really revolutionize, you know, the way we are treating cancer that's that's basically my you know three points for take home message thank you so much i think we could have not hoped for a, a more pleasant ending for the tsb icon miniseries a nice call for young researchers to be brave and a nice acknowledgement of the fact that apparently we are getting there science is going forward with cancer and and you know there's a lot that we can look for in the future thank you so much vince for you know lending us your time and your knowledge and your expertise i really hope you enjoyed this as much as we did Katja, i think i can speak for you as well for you as well i think this was a really really interesting and fun uh, interview so thank you oh, very yes. much it's been an absolute pleasure thank you i feel like uh, as a creative person this only further fuels my spark for science so thank you so much for this wonderful interview thank, thank you very much guys for having me this was fantastic also for me i enjoyed it a lot had a lot of fun i hope people will listen to it and they will get inspired i'm absolutely sure about it and uh, a shout out to ICANN itself so thank you everyone in ICANN for you know, collaborating with us and lending us your experts to our episode. And thank you, of course, to our listeners for following us and listening to all the episodes. This was the end of the TSB ICANN's miniseries. But of course, this is definitely not the end for the, the Science Basement podcast. So keep following us. There is plenty of more science-y episodes baking for you guys. So for now, this is it. Uh, remember to share this episode with everyone you know, like us on the platforms of podcasting that you choose to listen. And that's it. Thank you, Katya. Thank you, Vince. Thank you, everyone. I'm Giuliano. This was the Science Basement Podcast. See you in, this, in the next episode. Bye. 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 The Science Basement.
If you liked this episode, give it a thumbs up, rate us on the podcasting app of your choice, and don't forget to share it with your friends. This podcast was produced by The Science Basement, a science communication organization based in Helsinki, Finland. If you're interested in getting involved or being interviewed, get in touch at podcast at thesciencebasement.org.